Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. Dear Father in Heaven, we thank you so much for another opportunity to come before you, to open your Word, to receive from you, to hear from your Holy Spirit. So come now, Lord, disappoint us not. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Tonight we're going to focus on the transformed, how the cross transforms, how it changes. And so we want to look at what is there for us, and we'll do it as thoroughly and yet as briefly as we can. Will you turn with me as we go to God's Word to Matthew, the 27th chapter? Matthew, the 27th chapter. And while you are turning there also, there are those of you who do know me and my background, my training, and so forth, and what we want to bring, and there are those of you who do not, as you're going to Matthew, the 27th chapter. Matthew 27, gentlemen, if you would put up verses 50 through 54. Matthew 27, 50 through 54. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in, twi- in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching, Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Would the church say amen? amen? I wonder if you can grasp that scene in your mind's eye. I wonder if you can see what's going on here. What has happened here is it is an exemplification of what the cross can do. Tonight, we're talking about the power of the cross, the power of the cross. And in these few verses right here, just these four or five verses, you will see that the power of the cross can do and did do three major things. There's many things and many avenues and many directions you can look at this, but I want you to see three things that happen that are in these scriptures, three very powerful things, because the power of the cross is unique in its ability to change. To change what? To change, number one, circumstances. The power of the cross to change circumstances. Number two, to change nature. To change nature itself. Number three, to change people. Let's look at this, and we're going to see what happened here. Number one, I want you to look at me in verse 50. Look with me in verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And it said, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. First of all, the veil of the temple. We realize that when the cross uh, was completed, and when Jesus said those words, the veil in the temple. It was the veil that divided two particular departments in the sanctuary itself. You know those departments. This veil separated the what? The holy place from the most holy place. And no one was allowed in there except one person. Who was the one person? The priest. Not just the priest. The, the high priest. And he was only allowed in there how many times a year? One time. When was that? Somebody said Passover. Was it Passover? Was it Pentecost? (laughs) Was it it Day of Atonement? Was it it the Feast of the Tabernacles? It was the Day of Atonement on the close of the year, only once a year when the high priest was to go in there, and no one else had seen it. All of Israel had never seen what was behind the veil except the high priest. 
But when the cross completed itself and when Jesus said it is finished, that veil rent from the top to the bottom. And they said it was a hand that no one could see. And then at that point, something changed. Circumstances changed. No longer was the sanctuary service necessary. And the spirit of prophecy makes it clear. From that time forward, it said that the sacredness was gone because Jesus was what it was all about. And the whole service was all about Christ and helping them to understand Christ, and he was to be the center of it. But when that lamb gave his life, there was no longer need to take the lives of little lambs here and there. And she said the whole service became meaningless. It was no longer necessary. And so then, of course, the sacredness, when it had gone, because Jesus was gone out of the, out of the process, it is said that everyone now could see, and it was open. And yet there were those who continued to go on with that service. But Ellen White says what they did had no more meaning. It was meaningless. So circumstances changed. The circumstances of the sanctuary. The circumstances of how people now came to bring their sins. Before, you brought your sin and you brought your little lamb. And when you brought your lamb, you had to go through the process. When people brought their lambs to be sacrificed in the sanctuary, they brought them to the priest. And you all know the process. Let's see how much you, 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 when the people brought their lamb, that lamb, of course, they had to pray and confess their sins, right? And the sins were transferred from you onto the, onto the lamb. Isn't that right? Now, when you went before the lamb and you had the priest there and the priest had a bowl and that bowl was to catch the blood. Isn't that right? And so it was catch the blood of the lamb. And so the priest came and the priest had the knife. And when the priest came with the lamb with your sins confessed on it, who was the one who killed the lamb? The priest or yourself? Are you sure about that? Wasn't it the priest who actually killed the lamb? Was it the, was it the sinner or was it the priest? Oh, I see some folk real strong say that was the priest. If you say it was the priest who killed the lamb, let me see your hand. If you say it was the sinner who killed the lamb, let me see your hand. If you don't know and you're afraid to raise your hand, raise your hand. <laughs> it was, of course, it was the sinner who actually had to kill the lamb. Why was that? The sinner was to experience, pastor, you know, was to experience what it was like to cause death. And the sinner was to feel that warm blood. And the sinner was to take that innocent life and to understand what their sin had brought upon someone or something that was innocent. Well, Jesus, when he gave that sacrifice on the cross, he, of course, gave his blood for all the world. And he was the great sacrifice. And there was no longer need to bring one. And brothers and sisters, that's a blessing. That's why you don't have to take a lamb. And I don't have to take a lamb before a, a sanctuary somewhere and find a pastor or a priest. We don't have to do that anymore. Christ solved all that on the cross. Amen. The cross changed circumstances. Number two, the cross changed nature, changed nature itself. And I want you to know this is something I've got to take a time I want to share with you. It says that the cross changed and altered nature. How did it alter nature? Well, at the cross, something took place. Actually, it took place more than once. And what took place on the cross is mighty. Go to your Bibles now and let's look at Matthew, the 7th, 27th chapter. And I want you to go to verse 51. We'll read 51 and 52 as it will give us all of the things that we want in the two verses 51 and behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to bottom and then it said and the earth did do what folks 
quake, and what else happened? The rocks rent. What, what does rent mean? Anybody know what that means? Hmm? Open, fell apart. The actual Greek there means that they tore in half. You'll see the same term that's used in the Hebrews expressed in Samuel and in the Old Testament when it talked about Samson. Samson grabbed, uh, said that a young lion roared and charged towards Samson. And it said that Samson caught him midair and rent him. <laughs> he tore him in half. The rocks, Brother Charles, ripped in half. Let me read the brief description to you from Desire of Ages. I need you to see this, what happened when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. The cross then altered nature. I must read this for you. It says, never before had the earth witnessed such a scene. The multitude stood paralyzed and with bated breath gazed upon the Savior. Again, darkness settled upon the earth and a hoarse rumbling like a heavy thunder was heard. Then there was a violent earthquake. The people were shaken together in heaps and the wildest confusion and consternation ensued. In the surrounding mountains, Rocks were rent asunder, torn in half, and went crashing down into the plains. Sepulchres were broken open, and the dead were cast up out of their tombs. Creation seemed to be shivering to its atoms. Priests, rulers, soldiers, executioners, and people laid mute with terror, laying prostrate upon the ground. When Jesus said, it is finished, and the Bible says it was a loud cry that he gave, then the earth itself revolted. And as it said, the people were laying, then the priest and those soldiers, they weren't so mighty then, they were laying on that ground and it said they were paralyzed. And it said that their faces were just in awe and their mouths were open. And it said they all laid calm and still on the earth, amazed at what happened. We read about the earthquake and we see it, but there were two earthquakes after that. Because there was one earthquake, one earthquake happened uh, uh, when Jesus laid down his life. Remember, Jesus said, I lay down my life, no man takes it. He said, I have the power to do what? To lay it down, and I have the power to what? Take it up again. So remember that nobody took Jesus' life. He laid it down, and he brought it back up again. I like to read it because it's very masculine in how it happened. It just makes me feel so I'm at home, and I just read it, and I just stand up, Sister Child, and I just love to read it because it says, Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life, and I take it up again. Which he's Jesus all by himself, amen? And it said that when the angel came, that great angel Gabriel came down, he stood outside of the tomb, and he said, Thy father calleth you. Jesus, dad's ready to see you. And Jesus laying there quietly, it says from the power that was within him, within himself, he awoken himself. He stood himself up and walked out of there. Nobody had anything to do with the process. Now there was one earthquake when he laid his life down on the cross when he said it is finished. And then when he took his life up again, a second earthquake happened. And the earth outside the same thing. And so those people were forced to say, surely, truly, this was the son of God. Number two, nature itself responded and the cross had to respond. Also in that time, if you go to 1 Corinthians, you'll see in 1 Corinthians 15 and 6 that when Jesus came up from the grave, something else happened. People came up with him. 
Some say thousands came up with him, but we know the Bible scripture gives us 500, above 500. You'll see on the text there, it says, After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Now, I won't go into that text long because there's a whole sermon there, because some stayed with Jesus and some fell back asleep. I think I will go there. Can I unpack that just a little bit? Some went with Jesus. Those were co-laborers when they were alive. They were workers in the church. And so they laid down their lives in the process of talking about Christ. They said they were co-workers and co-laborers. And with those, they went to heaven with Jesus. Some speculate maybe they were the 24 elders. There's a lot there, but those, and then the others who were not, but who were still there, came out of the graves and said they lived a normal life and they went to sleep again. So some were alive. That represents some of us in the last days, what will happen, how some will go with Christ, and there are others who will have a different, a different uh, process will take place in your lives. We won't talk about that just now, but at least 500 people came from the graves. That must have been something. So that first earthquake, when the first earthquake took place, people fell on the ground, and they were amazed, and they were afraid. In the second earthquake, people came out of the ground. And they were happy. And they stood, my brother, and it said they went around and witnessed. So these were dead folks walking in the city, telling their testimony, singing like my brother did, talking about Jesus, and telling them, just going off the street. Can you imagine folks in church? Now, wait a minute. He got buried last week. I remember. I was at the funeral. And now he's telling me about Jesus. You've got to picture these things in your mind. It said it was at least 500 people or more that they saw. And I'm glad the Bible brought that out so they didn't say it was one person or this and gives, you know, scientists love to give excuses for things. They can explain what happened, you know. Uh, they said at the Red Sea, oh, it was a low time of the year where the sea was very low, you know. They give explain, but you can't, you can't wish away 500. And the Bible says above, so it was more than 500 people who they saw and went into the city. Number two, nature itself responded and the power of the cross was seen in earthquake. Number three, in people. Now, people, I want you to look at one specific person as we go to the third point here, and that is Peter. When we look at Peter, I'm simply going to uh, cut some of it and show you what we're talking about. We want to look at Peter, and we want to look at Peter before and after, because Peter was such a charismatic, charismatic personality, and we see him throughout Scripture, and we see references to Peter. But I want you to see what Spirit of Prophecy adds and says about Peter himself. Peter before the fall is described like this before his fall. It says, Peter was always speaking unadvisedly. Peter would speak from impulse of the moment. He would just say, yes, and you remember when Jesus said, oh, uh, you know, uh, and Peter said, no, not me, Lord. I, I, I will die for you. I'll, I'll go to the grave for you. And you remember he put out his sword and he cut the man's ear off. And Jesus put the ear back and said, Peter, well, he didn't use, he just said, Peter, chill. He did, I was going to say chill. But he said, Peter, just chill out. All right, all right. I don't think Jesus used those words. But he said, Peter, calm down. <laughs> Put the man's ear back on. And so we see that Peter was impulsive, and that was his nature. And it said that he always was ready to correct others. Hmm. Peter was going to say, no, 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 you, you got it wrong. Let me tell you, I'm Peter, and I know how it is. Peter was always ready to correct others. It says Peter also was ready to express his mind before there was a clear comprehension of himself or what he had to say. Have you ever talked to somebody who starts answering the question in the middle of the question? 
You say, well, you know, yesterday, yesterday I know when you were going to the store. I said, no, I wasn't going to the store. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow I know you're going to go to school. No, I'm not planning to go to school tomorrow. But someone who's always jumping ahead, and as was Peter, Peter was always answering things and saying what he knew. It said, but Peter, when he was converted, was very different. What made the difference? Pastor, what made the difference? The cross made the difference. Peter had an encounter with Jesus. And of course, we know about it, but I wonder if some people realize when it happened. It said he retained his former fervor, but the grace of Christ regulated his zeal. He was no longer impetuous. He was no longer self-confident. He was no longer self-exalted, but he was calm and self-possessed and teachable. He could then go and feed the lambs as well as the sheep of Christ's flock. If you remember, Jesus said, Peter, the one thing I want you to do is to go what? He said, go and feed my flock. Go feed my sheep. And so the Peter, but it says that Peter was not qualified. He was not ready to feed his sheep until he had an encounter at the cross and the power of the cross changed Peter. And when the power of the cross changed Peter, Peter was truly changed. He was different and God could then use him. Peter wasn't using other people. God simply was using Peter. And when you see Peter before and when you see Peter afterward, you will see the difference. Now, before we see Peter impetuous and jumping off and saying things and, 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 and popping before he even knows what's going on. But afterward, we see Peter in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Acts 2 and 14, you see Peter preaching. We won't go into a detail, but you'll see Peter preaching. Then in Acts, the third chapter, Acts the third chapter in verse 6, you'll see Peter healing. Peter had gotten to the point where uh, it was, the healing power was in his shadow. Do you all remember that? People would bring their sick and say, just lay them down, and let's hope that when Peter walks by, off just his shadow would fall on them, and they would be healed. Yeah. Acts 3rd chapter, verse 6, they would look for Peter for healing the power that God placed in him. Then in Acts the 4th chapter, verse 13, you'll see Peter teaching. Peter had a different tone in his voice. Look at Acts the 3rd chapter, 3 and 14. Let's look at that one very briefly. You will see him. I'm sorry, Acts 4 and 13, Acts 4 and 13. Acts 4 and verse 13, let's see how Peter now sounds. I'll start in verse 12, 12 and 13. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had what? Been with Jesus. Ellen White in the book Desire of Ages brings out this fact. Peter had been with Christ through three years of his ministry, but Peter was not converted yet. Peter had seen Christ perform miracles. He was right with him when he saw healing. Peter was with him all, and Peter preached, and he was teaching, and he stood in defense of Christ, but Peter was not yet converted. At the cross and the scenes just before the cross, when Christ was being taken away and the people came to Peter, and you remember the young girl who said, oh, that man there, he's part of the followers of Christ. I know I saw him with Jesus. What did Peter do? He denied him. Isn't that right? He denied him. He says, no, no, I, I don't know who he is. And then he came back again. The little girl said, yes, he is. I, I, I know that, 
that I've seen him with Christ. He's one of his followers. And Peter again said, he, no, I, I don't know who he is. And then the third time she came back and said, yes, I'm sure. Yes, he's the one. I know. I can hear. I know. And, I, and, and he said, what did he do? He said he started speaking differently. He started speaking some, he started speaking patois, didn't he? He went patois on him. <laughs> I don't know him, man. I don't know who that is. He said, I don't know we're going to go now. I don't know. He started talking, and he, was, he said, I don't know who that is. And they said that he, he went on, and he used foul language. And he said, he tried to change his voice and get real ghetto and everything. And they said, no, you can't fool us, Peter. We know you are a follower of Christ. And the little girl, sometimes in your life, there's the little girl that won't go away. Right then, the little girl just stood. He says, no, that's him. I know that he was with Christ. Go away, little girl, go away. No, that's him. And so Peter could not get away from the little girl. But it said that at that time and after that situation, his words, the words of Jesus came back to him, Peter, you'll deny me three times. And it said as they were taking Christ away, now watch this, as they were taking Christ away, that Jesus was able to hesitate and stop for a minute, and he made eye contact with Peter. There were no words. The soldiers had Jesus. There was a space between them. But as he looked at Peter's eyes, that's when Peter was converted. His heart was melted by the love of Christ. Jesus didn't have to say anything. He just looked at him. And all went through his mind. And it said that Peter was broken. From that point, you see Peter teaching and preaching and changing. But not until the cross... Because the cross, all of the disciples, if you remember, they ran and they hid and they, and they were afraid. They ran out of fear because they said, if you are identified as one of his followers, you may end up on the cross also. They ran out of confusion. You remember what the confusion was? The confusion was, how is Jesus on the, on the cross and letting them crucify him? He is supposed to be our deliverer, remember? They were waiting for Jesus to ride in on the horse with the swords and take over. They say he's going to do some kind of miracle. We don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to take over in a powerful way. And so they were confused. But then later on, if you remember, the scripture says, we remember when Jesus said, if they uh, uh, kill this temple, I'll raise it back up in three days. The words came back to them. And then Peter, at the eye contact, after the cross, then when they saw the resurrection, then Jesus was able to, through the Holy Spirit, impress Peter in such a way that his conversion became true. Let me leave this statement with you that you and I have read before that I want you to take with you. Desire of Ages, page 83. It would be well for us to spend, anybody know the rest of this? A thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones, as we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us. Listen, folks. Our confidence in him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. This is how you get more of the spirit of Christ. This is how you get more of God in your life. This is how you learn to overcome. This is how you learn to stop being like Peter and being so impetuous and how you learn to become and become an instrument in God's hand. It said, if we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. You've got to be humble. 
And this is something that is said. It said every day we ought to spend at least a thoughtful hour. I wonder, have you ever even tried that? You've seen this statement before. You've heard pastors read this before. It is, it's in Desire of Ages, page 83. I'm asking you tonight, why don't you incorporate this? Why don't you try to take one hour each day and just contemplate? Close your eyes, read, and think on the last scenes of Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane, how they led him from one place to another, how they beat him and mistreated him. And then on the cross, all the things that you have seen, take one hour with nothing else around you and contemplate. Allow that to sink into your spirit. It will start changing you. The power of the cross will be seen in your life. You will see God moving and changing in your life. The power of the cross can change people, yes. The power of the cross can change you, but only if you let it. Up to this point, we have talked about and we have dealt with love on the cross. We talked about love on the cross. We found that that was agape love. It had to be a love that came from God to mankind. You and I don't have it. We're void of that. Once and one, one particular item here, the first thing that we must realize, I had to get that from God. You've got to get agape from God. You don't have it. You don't have the capacity. That must come from God. Number two, as we talked about it uh, this morning, we said we are undeserving. The only way we will get what we need to get saved is we must become believers, true believers. We talked about that before. We must believe in order to receive. And today we understand to get the power of the cross, we need to contemplate. We need to slow down our lives. Do we live busy lives in 2018? Oh, yes, mercy. And then all of a sudden somebody comes up with something called a cell phone. Amen. A cellular phone. And you can see everybody. How many times have you been on the road and someone has almost hit you or maybe they did hit you or run you off? You're already nodding. Hmm? And when you get up next to them, what's happening? texting and talking to somebody now watch this one how many times has that been you on there texting uh -huh. Uh -huh. okay all right amen <laughs> our lives have become so busy they are distractions to keep us and take us away from the things that are important and the things that are important are the things that have to do with your salvation remember these other things are just temporal but we need to know the things that are going to pertain to our salvation now, I want to say something to this church. You are different. I always tell you that you are different, and I put that in my sermon. Sometimes I don't intend to, but it's there. You have to realize that you are different. Turn with me to Revelation, the 7th chapter. Let's go. Revelation, the 7th chapter. We're going to close. Revelation, the 7th chapter. Revelation 7. Revelation, the 7th chapter. You've got to remember this. You see, if you don't think of yourself as different, you don't act different. Because you don't think of yourself that way. You think of yourself just like everybody else. But you are not. Revelation 7, verses 1 through 3. Revelation 7. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. The what, folks? the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Read verse 3 with me all together, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, 
until we have sealed the servants of our God in their form. You are the servants of God. You've got to get sealed. There's a sealing process, and you are the people who God is waiting for. But when we think of ourselves like, <clears throat> I'll just say the other churches, the nominal churches in the world, you will never put yourself in line to be sealed because you think just like everybody else. But no, 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 you've got a different task. You've got a different responsibility. You have three angels' messages that you are supposed to deliver to the world. But if you don't think of yourself as anything or anybody any different, you're going to come to church every day, come and go. Ellen White said we come like doors on his hinges, just in and out. Come back next week, see who's here. Who's pastor got up today? Oh, I like the one the pastor brought in last week. And we talk about, huh? No, not until you realize there's something different. Look in verse 2, what it says in chapter 7, verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. I ask this all the time. I asked it when I was here last time. What is the seal of the living God? <clears throat> Man, it's quiet in here. <laughs> What is the seal? I'm expecting to hear it nice and loud. What's the seal of the living God? Not, now, there's a sealing process, but there's a seal. Hmm? Here's how y'all talking to me. I say it low, so if I'm wrong, I cover my mouth up. What's the seal of the living God? The Sabbath. Say it out loud. The Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. God said it's a seal between me and my people forever. And that seal has to be taken, and that seal in the last days is how God would distinguish who his people are. It is the Sabbath, and if you look at today what's happening out here in the world, it's becoming harder and harder to be a Sabbath keeper. People look down on you, but you see God's going to see who's there. Now that's the seal, but there is a sealing process. That's different. You're in the midst of that right now. I won't go there. Pastor will stand up on me because he knows that's a different subject. All right, that's not what I'm supposed to be here to preach today. All right, I'm preaching the cross makes the difference. But the cross will make the difference in the sealing process in your life. If you understand the sealing process, okay. If you don't understand the sealing process, you need to be questioning yourself and saying, I need to understand that better. When I asked what is the seal of God, it took too much time for us to see. We ought to be, you're Sabbath. You said it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seal of the Lord thy God. Isn't that right? We must know these things, folk. We must know these things. Like Peter and the others. When it came time for Peter and they said, well, here's this person. This person needs to be healed. Peter said, uh, well, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, <laughs> take up your bed and walk. That's better than silver and gold. And I'm telling you, we're going to talk about healing now as we close out. I'm going to close this out and we're going to talk about some healing and some natural health and things like that. God would like to have a whole room full of natural healers. I see people in here who should have the spirit of God resting on them like it rested on Peter and John. Y'all think that's crazy, huh? You think that's crazy? No, God wants to use us. In the last day, we're told in Joel, the second chapter, and they say his spirit's going to fall on the, on the handmaiden, on the, it's going to fall on the little ones, on the, everybody that he can use that are believers, that are ready to be sealed, have gone through the sealing process, elder, and understand the seal is placed in their lives. Is that you? Is that me? Or are we really just kind of playing church and come in and out and make sure we're seen and do our part? Now, serving in the church is a good thing. I cannot minimize it. Serving in the church is a wonderful thing. 
being the elder and the deacon and deaconess and the, and the song team and doing what you're supposed to do and helping the pastor to make sure the church programs run. We must do that. You're supposed to do that. That's an obligation. But we tend to stop right there. And when people ask, what is our Christian experience, we will tell them what we do in the church. What's your Christian experience? Oh, I've been a deaconess for 12 years. What's your position? What's your spiritual experience? Oh, listen, I've been an elder, man. I was an elder before we came. I was an elder. We were over on the other street. We were over there on the other side of 95. That is not what that is talking about. You can be an elder all you want. Deacon, deaconess, sing, just sing. And some of y'all got some beautiful voices. Really sing beautiful. My brother, you blessed me with that song today. Praise team, you blessed me today with that song. And when it got, when it got, I was back here telling you, I said, don't you worry, you started over, do it again. I wanted to hear that song. Don't leave. Because I'm blessed by that. Music, we are told, my brother, sets the tone for the service. It calms us. It puts us in mind so that we can hear the word of God. When the pastors bring the word of God, the music has already set the tone where you are at. These are things that we must understand. But don't lose this fact. Brothers and sisters, you have a special calling. You are not like other churches on this street or in this particular city. You have a special calling. It's a sealing process that you and I must be aware of. It's coming. It's happening more and more today. And as we have people who are, we have people named like things, names like uh, Donald Trump. We have people like that who are causing things to happen in a different manner. Oh, things are happening in a different manner because of that. You and I need to understand what our calling in our election is. Turn with me now as we go back to our closing text, which was our opening text, Matthew the 27th chapter. Matthew 27. Yes, it's quiet in here. That's what it should be. I hope that your minds are turning. The Holy Spirit is saying something to you. I want this evangelistic effort to be something different for you. Matthew the 27th chapter. In Matthew 27, chapter, we were in the verse of 50, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried with a loud voice, what did he do, folks? It said he yielded up the ghost. He yielded up the ghost. He gave up the ghost and laid down his own life. Why did Jesus do that? He did that for me. He did that for you. Until you make that personal, you're going to always think that Jesus did that for somebody else. My brother, you can come to the instrument. I'm ready to close. But you need, we, must, we must understand this, that Jesus, his sacrifice, everything in the cross is for you. The power of the cross, the love of the cross, the purpose of the cross, the place of the cross. Tomorrow night, the place of the cross. Do you know where the cross was strategically located is very significant? It has something to do with anatomy, and it also has something to do with your salvation. You must understand where the cross was and why the place of the cross. I'm hoping you will be with us tomorrow to witness that. Will you bow your heads with me for a brief word of prayer? Our Father and our God, we come before you now realizing because we know in our spirits that we have something special to do. We know there's a sealing process going on. We know that clock is ticking and moving and we know that we are not in the places that we should be. So, Lord, as we have looked today at Peter and others, and we have seen how it is before the cross in their lives and after the cross in their lives, we know that we must act in a way that we have been with Jesus. And people will see something different in us. We pray that this evangelistic effort will prick our hearts 
and do something in us that we will leave this place and people will say, what happened to him? What happened to her? I believe they have been with Jesus. The cross, the power of the cross. Let it work itself out in me, Lord. Let it work itself out in each one of the saints who are here in this building today. Let us leave here different than when we came in because we prayed for it and we asked for it in the wonderful and in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggracesda.org.